welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you are going to want to check them out. Now, you can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. And become a supporter of the show today, you can head on over to patreon.com slash speakadogcast and become a patron of the podcast today. Now, you can also check out my YouTube channel. It's uh, at speakadogcast. Yes, we just launched that a couple weeks ago, getting some great content up there as well. So go on over, check it out. And if you guys love what you're hearing, do me a favor, click that five-star rating, leave me a review, let me know what you're thinking, and uh, hey, if you're watching on that YouTube, give me that old thumbs up. Yes. Now, today on the show, can dogs experience jealousy? Now, I'm sure this is a question you might have asked yourself as a dog owner. Maybe we already think we know that dogs can experience jealousy, and we're going to talk more about that. Then comes what to look for in a dog trainer. Very important. There's definitely some details you want to know, you want to look for, and maybe some red flags that you want to avoid, right? So I'm going to give you guys the details on what, what's going to make a good dog trainer and what to look for for you and your pup. Then comes the first pets, followed by that listener Q&A. And if you have questions for the listener Q&A, you can keep them on coming my way. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or feel free to just message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question, and today's question is going to be... What is the only bird that can fly backwards? Yes, what is the only bird that can fly backwards? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speaking Dogcast, do dogs experience jealousy? If you're a dog lover, if you're a dog owner, you've either said it or you've heard it at some point. Oh, my dog's jealous. Oh, my dogs get jealous over my affection. Oh, they get jealous over that toy. Oh, he gets jealous over the food bowl. Well, I'm here to tell you today that it's not jealousy that your dog is experiencing. We like to think that, we want to put that emotion onto them, but in reality, it's something very different. So we're going to dive into that today in understanding that dogs don't experience jealousy like you or I do. They just don't. All right, so let's get into it. Um, Here's the thing. We got to talk about jealousy with human beings a little bit to gain an understanding into why your dog is not experiencing jealousy as you or I understand it. Now, look, this this kind of starts a long time ago. (laughs) It really does. It starts early on in the evolution of human beings. Jealousy is a trait that has evolved, right? It has evolved as a survival mechanism as a mating mechanism, as a way for our species to continue to propagate. Because without jealousy, what would we lack? Think about it. Without jealousy, what would human beings lack? Competition. It's very simple, right? Competition. Without jealousy, we wouldn't have competition. Without competition, we wouldn't survive. Predators by nature are competitive animals when you think about it, aren't we? right? Human beings, we're predators. Dogs, they're predators. They're domesticated wolves. How about tigers, big cats? Um, All these different animals that are predators and and, and act like predators, including ourselves. And so I can hear it already. Well, David, if predators are are, are experienced, wouldn't big cats and dogs and what you just mentioned, wouldn't they be jealous too? No. Uh, (laughs) Look, guys, I say it time and time again. First of all, 
animals experience emotions differently than you or I do. Right? I say it a lot. And I'm here to let's not. Oh, I don't need angry emails. Guys, dogs have or animals in general and dogs. Dogs are animals. Animals have emotions, but to what depth? To what degree? To what quantitative, qualitative uh, state that I can measure? I cannot. I cannot measure animals and emotions. Even human beings, it's pretty damn hard, right? So just that alone. Um, and I can hear, again, I can hear the arguments. I love playing devil's advocate with myself. It's fun. Uh, <laughs> I can hear the arguments. Well, David, if, you, if we can't even approve, uh, prove emotions definitively with human beings, how do you prove that the animals are not experiencing jealousy? Look, guys, here it is. Very simply put, as we let's, let's dive into it. Very simply put, in order to experience jealousy, an animal has to have self-awareness. There it is. And the vast majority of animals on this planet do not have that self-awareness. They lack self-awareness. Now, do animals like greater apes, do animals like dolphins, do animals like elephants, do these animals experience jealousy? Hmm, that might be a discussion for a different day. Because here's the thing, they might, I'll be very honest, they might. And maybe there's even studies and ways we can prove that. I think it would take quite a few studies, in my opinion. I don't think one study could definitively prove that. I think it would take a long time, at least to convince someone like me. Um, <laughs> just being honest, because here's the thing. Even if these animals experience jealousy, these higher intellect animals, if I go up to them and go, hey, Mr. Ape, uh, Mrs. Ape, <laughs> are you jealous right now? Guess what that ape is not going to do? It's not going to answer me. That's a problem when it comes to quantif quantifying and qualifying emotions, don't you think? So that's my biggest argument with saying, well, this animal's feeling this and this animal's feeling that. How in the hell do you know? Show me. Show me the evidence. I'd love to see it. And as a matter of fact, I think we would have heard of this by now if you could communicate with animals that black and white. But you can't. So it doesn't exist. So therefore, I cannot come to the conclusion that any of these higher intellect animals experience jealousy. It seems pretty simple to me. I mean, it's just logic for crying out loud. Okay, so then the other side of the coin, how do I definitively prove that my dog isn't experiencing jealousy? Again, hey, look, it really just goes back to the self-awareness. That's where it starts, okay? The first, th first things first, they're not experiencing jealousies because they don't know what they are. If they don't know what they are, how can they be jealous? See what I'm saying? All right, but what is it then? What are they experiencing if it's not jealousy? Now, we got to go way back, way back in time to when human beings were first evolving, when human beings were Neanderthals. And the funny thing is, you know, I say it all the time with dogs, no matter how much we domesticate and breed dogs, in the back of their brains, they're still going to be a wolf. Yes, very far removed. Yes, very far away from the, from the actual wolf. But nonetheless, those instinctual needs, those instinctual fulfillments, a lot of that stuff is never going to be removed from their brain. And I got news for you. It works the same way with human beings. All right, we were cavemen once. We were Neanderthals. We were all these things. And those roots, right, where we came from, those foundational building blocks of the of, of Homo sapiens, that is how we've gotten to where we are today. And again, it doesn't matter how much we self-domesticate, no matter how much we evolve, no matter how much society moves forward, it does not matter. In the back of that brain, there are still instinctual needs that come from a very long time ago that need to be fulfilled. Right? We could all agree with that, I hope. All right, so <laughs> if that is the case and we can all have that understanding and agreement that we have evolved from these 
Neanderthal-type creatures at least, right? Some are, you know, missing link. Let's not talk about that. Um, if we can all agree to this and understand this, then we can start to move forward and go, okay, how did human beings evolve? How did we get where we are? And the reality is you have to look, okay, well, we were predators and we got here by competition. Now, there's a lot of things that get us here, but this is, <laughs> this is one thing we're going to pull from it. Competitiveness. Because guys, without competitiveness, I, I, we wouldn't be where we are. We wouldn't. Human beings would not be in the level of evolution, in the timeline of evolution where we are, without having a competitive nature. It doesn't really take, look, this doesn't take a genius or a huge scientific experiment to observe nature and observe predators by nature, observe, uh, look, I go back to tigers because um, they have similar, I mean, a lot of predators have similar behaviors, but I go back to the tigers because it's funny, in my brain, all I envision is animal planet, I see the, or National Geographic, right, and I see the 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 clips with mama, you know, mom's out, and she's got the baby cubs, and what are the cubs doing? They're crouching, and they're practicing the hunt with each other, but they're playing, but, but they're practicing the hunt by playing. Killing two birds with one stone. It's teaching them survival mechanisms through competitiveness. See where I'm going with this. So dogs do the same thing, don't they? Anybody ever been around a pack of puppies? What do they do? They play and they bite and they growl and they, they try to take each other down and they learn where the lines are. But they're practicing survival mechanisms. Okay? So... That's the thing with, with, with dogs is we, you know, you have to look at it from this kind of evolutionary standpoint and going, okay, they're competitive by nature because they're predators and, and, and that competitiveness is what brings survival. And without them competing, and let's, let's look at the genetic pool, right? What is competition? It's, it's success and failure. So if you have a, a tiger or a dog or a wolf or what have you that's trying to compete for the food and they end up losing out, what happens? That wolf probably doesn't survive, doesn't get a mate tiger, whatever, whatever predator this is, they lose out on the food and they don't survive and they don't get survival of the fittest through competition. Now, let's go back to the human beings a second. Somewhere in this evolutionary scale as we evolved and moved on, human beings, our brains just kind of went crazy and nuts. I mean, <laughs> and we evolved big time. We evolved these emotions, these intense emotions, and we evolved reason, the ability to reason. The ability to step outside and not just react through fight and flight mechanisms. All of a sudden, human beings kind of found this other thing in the middle of fight and flight. And all of a sudden, here's this like, right? And then through these emotions, culture evolves, arts, uh, 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 you know, all these different things that come with it. Why? Competition and jealousy. Guys, look at look at wars. I mean, for crying out loud, um, what's, oh God, how long has that been? What's the Roman story? Uh, Iliad and the Odyssey, right? The Trojan War. That all started over a woman. Um, <laughs> competitive, not saying over a woman, you know what I'm saying. Over the competitiveness of, of affection, of survival. There it is. Okay, so here's the full circle of this. Your jealousy and envy of anybody ever in your life, because every single person has been jealous or envious at some point. You know why? Survival. We're supposed to. We're supposed to feel those things. But I think the difference as a human being in our evolution is we have the ability to overcome those jealousies and overcome overcome and being envious. 
and go beyond that just straight up competitive nature. And that's where that self-awareness and jealousy, that's where competitive takes the leap to jealousy. It's through humans. It's through that human being, that individual thing that exists among Homo sapiens unlike any other animal on this planet. Back to the beginning, could I argue that um, greater, higher intellect animals experience jealousy? Maybe, but I can't prove it, so therefore I cannot argue that. I could argue that point. We can go to debate class, but I can't ever prove it to be scientifically true, at least at this point, uh, in our understanding of animals. It's a very interesting topic, guys. It is. And I know I, I know there's people out there listening that are not loving what I'm saying right now. David, my dog experienced jealousy. You're letting your heart get the best of you. Are you having an emotional response or a reasonable, logical response? Could I argue that evolution... Um, I could, of course, right? Too many, too many emotions, too much emotions, too much emotions, too much whatever, <laughs> is a bad thing, to a fault. We all know that. Being too emotional in the wrong moments can be terrible, uh, can really be detrimental. So it's fascinating in our evolution how we evolved this competitive nature and this jealousy that other animals don't experience. And as much as we might want our dogs to experience that jealousy, because that's what that empathy, that putting our emotions onto other people and other creatures, that's a unique trait to human beings. Other animals do not do that, right? So in that humanness of us, we want them to experience jealousy. But they're not. They are not. Oh my goodness, I know, I know. Ooh, I, uh, David, I want my animal to feel. Guys, your animals do feel. I'm not denying that for a second. Of course your animals feel. But to sit here and think and to say, you know what your dog is feeling. <sighs> Guys, I love you as my listeners, I do. But don't be ignorant. Don't be silly. Don't be ridiculous. I'm an expert. I've been doing this for, I actually, I realize I've been saying 13 years, but I think we're on 14 years now. I've been doing this for 14 years. I have, I don't even know how many hundred, at this point, it's got to be hundreds of thousands of hours training dogs. And in all my experience, guys, I don't know for certain what a dog is feeling because I cannot scientifically, without a doubt, prove it. I can't. <laughs> I just can't do it. Ah. You know, it's so funny. I'd probably get more hits on my Instagram and everything if I if I if I did that emotional crap that you see on TikTok and Instagram with dogs. And I refuse to do it. I won't do it. I won't because it just keeps perpetuating this crap that that a dog is jealous and then you mean they have these little human feelings and he loves when I dress him up. And oh my God, how do you know he loves it? Does he tell you that? Does he whisper into your ear at night? Ugh, I know, I'm being mean now, but... <laughs> Guys, you can only sit and take so much of this. Literally, like, look, I mean this in the nicest way, but people literally fight me at... Not fight, literally. Did I really just say that? Come on. People literally verbally battle with me. There you go. Um, about this stuff at appointments. They hire me, and they will literally, like, go to... to no, they will not accept what I'm saying. And I'm sorry, but it gets a little old when you're a professional that's been doing this a long time and you know what you're doing. You get results. Majority of my business comes from referrals, so clearly someone was happy with something I did, I hope. Otherwise, why would they be giving me my name? And you still want to reject everything I have to say. I don't understand that mentality. 
you know? Look, I don't go to the dentist and he goes, you have a cavity. Granted, hey, knock on wood, I haven't had a cavity since I was a kid, I think. I don't even know it's been so long. Uh, But, you know, I'm not going to go to the dentist and go, no, no, I don't. That's your opinion. That's nice. But no, I don't have a cavity. No, I can't feel any pain, so I don't have a cavity. If the dentist says you have a cavity, I got news for you. You got a cavity. Okay. (laughs) If the dog trainer says your dog is not experiencing jealousy, he's not experiencing jealousy. Now, here's the great assault part. Uh, Take it with a grain of salt, because as I always say, you shouldn't take everything I say and just treat it as like as 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 gospel. Okay, you just shouldn't. You should always do your research. This leads into the next segment that we have today and what to look for in a dog trainer, because look. Oh, just wait till you hear the next segment today, guys, because I do have a little story for you today. Um, Going to be interesting. And so we'll save that for the next segment. But that's my point. If it's a professional that you've gotten referrals and you know this professional is legit and they, what they say has merit, stop battling them. I don't care what it is, whether it's accounting or <laughs> or dog training or a plumber or whatever. If they if they've proven to you in some form or way, whether that be through referral or testimonials or what have you, that they have knowledge in the area, I would hope you would, you know, take that knowledge at least and try it. Um, Throwing it out there, food for thought. (laughs) Okay, so look, getting back to it, guys, it's it's pretty black and white at the end of the day. Even if animals have this, some animals, even if they have the ability to feel jealousy, you cannot prove it's jealousy because it, at the end of the day, guys, we're pre-programmed, whether you want to hear this or not, we're pre-programmed to experience jealousy as human beings. We, as human beings, you heard me, are pre-programmed to experience jealousy because it creates competition and through that competition is survival, right? Without that com- competition, we wouldn't have survival. It's no different with dogs, wolves, any predator out there. They are naturally going to compete for survival. But that level to take it from competitiveness to jealousy, that's a human trait. It is unique to us. And while, again, I can't say for certain that something like an ape or an elephant, um, I can't say for certain they don't experience jealousy. What I can tell you is I can't say for certain that they do. And until I can say for certain that they do, in my brain and in my book, they don't because I cannot prove it. That's like saying um, there's 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 just gold in the sky and we could just go harvest it. You can't see it because it's way up in the sky, but we can go harvest it so I know it's there. Prove it, guys. Prove that it's there. Now, we're not going to get into the ethical debate of, of any other kind of beliefs. Beliefs are different. Uh, <laughs> not talking about that today. Um, but again, guys, it, to me, when we're talking about science and psychology, I need to see the evidence in order to be able to put it into practice and and use that science to work with the animal in a more cohesive way. But if we're just saying dogs feel jealousy and they don't, we're probably doing ourselves and our dogs a disservice when it comes to training and working with them. So while we all might want our animals to to feel these things that we feel, at the end of the day, if they felt them, they wouldn't be a dog, they'd be a human. So remember guys, it's not jealousy, it's competition, and there is a distinction between the two. of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. 
No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Speak a Dogcast, what to look for in a dog trainer. Yes, it is a very important thing to have somebody that you can trust and that you want to work with to train your dog. Now, a lot of trainers out there do boarding, such as myself as well. So this is somebody that could potentially be years into a relationship, you know, into this relationship with your dog. Your dog's a family member. Uh, my dogs are my family members. And it is a tough thing for me to go out of town, I'll be honest. It is, because it's tough for me to just trust uh, just anybody, you know? And those of you that have, few of you, that have watched my dogs in the past, thank you. And it means that I have a lot of trust in you. Uh, it does, you know? It's, it's high praises coming from me <laughs> to be able to trust somebody with my dogs. They're everything to me, you know? And my, my wife and I, that's, that's, they're our dogs. They, they are our family members. Now, at the end of the day, they're still dogs, but you bet you, but I love them like they're my family because they are, okay? So it's tough to know what to look for. And I'll be honest, since, since COVID hit, there have been a lot of startup dog trainers that are just not, not well-educated, not experienced. They don't know what they're doing and they're putting a lot of bad information out there. Okay, so it's tough to disseminate who's going to be a good one, who's not. Now, we're going to talk about maybe some red flag things to look for today, some some very, you know, hey, whoa, flashing lights, maybe I should pump the brakes here, uh, things to look for when it comes to your doctor. And then we're going to talk about the things that you should look for, the good stuff, right? The good stuff. Um, and, and I want to start by saying that this segment actually kind of came about, I mean, yes, because over the last few years, I've seen a lot of crap out there. But especially because I had a client recently who hired another trainer before she had gotten my information, before she had met me. And look, I'll try to put it in a nutshell and I'll try not to jump on my soapbox too much right now. But let's, I got to tell you about it. It's, 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 it's cringy. All right. It is cringe worthy. It is, uh, gets under my skin. Let's just talk about it. So she hired this trainer and she signed her dog up for a three week boot camp program. And to make the law, I mean, I'm going to try to make this long story short. I may have to say that three times to get there, <laughs> to get to the short version. Um, but the dog comes back and the dog is wearing a shot collar and a prong collar simultaneously. Now, the owner was never given a heads up that this company would be using either one of these tools with her dog. And I will say her dog is not a very big dog and it's still a puppy. And... Uh, guys, I, I'm sorry, but if you can't work with a small puppy without using a shock and a prong collar as a professional, you're doing something very, very wrong. Very, very wrong. I'm not going to call out this company on my podcast. I'm not going to say their name or anything like that. They are in my area, but there's tons of dog traders in my area. So good luck finding who it is. <laughs> 
And a lot of them use prong and shot collars. Now, I use prong collars, I admit it, but I, I use them rarely, and I would never use one, and have never used one, on this breed of dog, nor a dog that age. Of any breed, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, of any, yep, I can say that definitively. Yep. So, to me, there was just no need for it. And I did a consultation with this uh, with this client, with this dog, and I saw what was really happening, and after speaking with her, she really didn't feel that she got much success, maybe a little, of anything, of any of the issues that were going on after this three weeks of boot camp and a lot of money. More than I charge. Mm-hmm. More than I charge for a boot camp. And she got like no results with this dog. That's sad and pathetic on the trainer's part, using a shot collar or prong collar. I mean, what the hell? Ugh. So, all right. To make a long story short, no success, wrong tools. And the dog is worse off because of it. it stinks. And it infuriates me. It really does. It ticks me off. Um, just absolutely gets under my skin how many bad trainers and bad information there is out there. All right? And look, while it's not always avoidable to, to you know, these things, you, who's hired a bad contractor in their life? Um, <laughs> it's not always avoidable. I want to try to help you guys to avoid that if I can by showing you some red flag things to look for and showing you the good signs to look for. That's where this came from today. Um, all right, so let's just try to list some of the red flag items, okay? Look, the very first thing, first and foremost, is if the dog trainer doesn't want to offer a consultation of any kind, whether it's paid or free, that's irrelevant. If they don't want to offer some way to consult with you in person over a Zoom call, even where they can visually see, maybe get some, some videos of the behavior going on, something like that, without some form of consult to, to, to see what's going on and to really take the time to talk in depth with your client, get to know them a little bit, get to know the situation. Without that, I feel like it's hard to, to start on the right foot to gain success because how in the world can you without that consultation? So there's the first thing. If the trainer doesn't want to offer a consultation, that, that, that might be a red flag right there. Okay. Second red flag. If you want to take your dog to a boarding type, a board and train type program and the trainer doesn't want to let you see their facility, doesn't want to let you see their home, red flag. Guys, I oftentimes have clients that want to see my home. They want to see where the dog is staying. I get it. I would too. I had another client years ago told me um, they went to drop off the dog for a boot camp and literally turned around and left because of the, you know, the disgusting home that was their facility. So if they don't want to show you where the dogs are going to be staying, living, playing, trained, anything, that is a huge red flag. And I would never in a million years leave my dog at a place like that. Just never. Like it's one thing to you know not have cameras. Like I don't have cameras up in my house. I'm not gonna let people watch my home. <laughs> I send updates, but you know that's one thing. In a public facility where it's a dog training facility, that's one thing. In a private home, I get it. But they're more than welcome to come see where their dogs will be staying, and they do. Uh, and it's not a problem. You know, no big deal. So that's a big old red flag right there. Um, a couple. <laughs> a couple. Uh, what do I want to call it? I guess let's call it technique red flags, right? Look, if I see a trainer that calls themselves a positive reinforcement only trainer, to me, that's a giant red flag. Because guys, if you've listened to my podcast before, and if you haven't, please go back and check out some of my segments on dog psychology and some of these training concepts. Because the reality is, guys, there's no such thing as a positive reinforcement trainer. You cannot only use 
positive reinforcement to train a dog. And as a matter of fact, even if they call themselves that, they don't realize it. They're using positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and punishment, whether they realize it or not. Yep. Again, go back and listen. It's look, it's very clear, guys. If you if you understand what positive reinforcement means by definition, what negative reinforcement means by definition, and what punishment means by definition. If you understand these concepts, it's very easy to see that there's no such thing as a positive reinforcement only trainer. It's just not. And with that, there's another one. Force-free training. If someone calls themselves a force-free trainer, run for the hills. They don't know what they're talking about. Look, the easiest way to disprove that force-free training is a crock of crap, how many of you out there leash up your dogs at some point or another? How many? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you leash up your dogs. It's okay. You can do it. Um, (laughs) That's force, guys. That's literally the definition of force. You are leashing up your dogs and using a form of force to gain control. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the word force. If I overuse force, there's something wrong with that. But I'm not talking about overusing. I'm just simply saying the word force. And for some reason, oh, I can't force my dog to do anything. You do all the time and you don't even realize it by putting a leash on them. That's why force-free training doesn't exist. Oh my goodness. How about fear-free training? Now look, I, I'm i all on board with the concept of fear-free training. I get what we're trying to say. We don't want the dogs to be scared. What happens if the dog is already scared? Can't be fear-free if the dog's already fearful. If I have a dog who's a rescue, who's been traumatized, who's fearful, it cannot be fear-free. Red flag. Ah! <laughs> it's the misinformation, guys. That's just it. It's the not understanding these terms and putting our human emotions onto them. And if I'm putting my human emotions onto a term in my training, they're not going to be the best trainer. I'm just being honest. I've seen it time and time again. You want a trainer who's not emotionally biased. That's what's going to get you results. All right? Look, I'll be honest. I prefer to look for more of the lines of behavior specialist. I'm just, you know, I'm not just saying that's because it's me. It's because I've seen the difference between someone who titles himself a behavior specialist, someone who gives, who earns that title, and someone who has a dog training title. It's not to say a dog trainer can't be successful. It's not what I'm saying. <sighs> what I am saying is there's a lot of bad trainers out there who can call themselves a dog trainer. How about this one? Certifications. CPDT, Certified Pet Dog Trainer. I'm not going to dive off the deep end on my opinions on these certifications today, but guys, these certifications don't necessarily mean a damn thing. Just so you know, take it with a grain of salt, do your own research, but I don't believe you need a certification from some random company when there is no legal certification to be a dog trainer. It's one thing if they're a renowned company and they've proven that they that they test people. That's the thing. How many of these companies are actually testing whether you can actually train a dog and how many of these companies are just letting you pass a test and going, certified, pay us the money, give us certified. That's a head scratcher. <laughs> Look, I'll never forget years and years ago, uh, I was I was trying to network with some vets in the area up in Orlando. And I walked into a vet office and I said, hey, I'm a dog trainer. You know, I'm just trying to move new in the area, trying to. And they looked at me and went, what certifications do you have? I said, none. She said, well, how do you know how to train then? <laughs> so, well, I've had experience training dogs, cats, otters, pigs, an orangutan, monkeys, parrots, hawks, owls, vultures. Like, I've trained all kinds of animals, so I think I'm qualified to train a dog. 
Well, if you don't even have have a, have a, any certifications, I, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna even talk to you. Not even joking, guys. That's what it's based on. Okay, cool, cool. You're basing it on if I passed the test and sent in a hundred bucks. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I said I wasn't gonna do this, and here I am. All right, all right. Back off. Back away. Back away. <laughs> guys, find out if the trainer's actually done anything. Look at their websites. Look at the pictures. If you see pictures of them training dogs, actually training dogs. Good. If you see pictures of them training other animals successfully, good. If you see testimonials, good. If the trainer is more than happy to let you come see their home, good. Or their facility, good. If your dog seems to be all right with the trainer, good. Right? Trust your gut on those things too. Now look, if you have a dog who's got anxiety issues and is terrified of men and a male trainer comes in and your dog is terrified of them, little different, right? <laughs> a little different. All right. So, um, yeah, you got to know what to look for guys. I like to look for people who are true animal lovers, right? Who, who, who you can, part of it to me with animals, it's, it's a kind of gut feeling sometimes. I'm leave that at that. Cause I don't want to go into the gut feeling stuff too much. All right. But those are the things we want to look for. So how about, are they using treats? I do want a trainer who uses treats. I'm all for that but I don't want them to be a treat-based trainer, Aha. Uh-huh. okay? I want them to be a psychology-based trainer, someone who uses scientific behavioral theory uh, um, to, to train and work with animals, who understand the concepts of reinforcement and punishment. How about if you're gonna do a boot camp with a trainer, do they do follow-up sessions with you? If I see a trainer who's gonna do follow-ups after the boot camps, that's a good sign. That's, that's where we wanna go, all right? Look for these things. In this day and age with social media, I bet a lot, I mean, a lot of trainers have Instagram accounts. Go look at their accounts. Go see the dogs in the pictures. Do they look happy and healthy? Happy. Eh, you know, come on, my listeners who know what I'm saying there. Um, but yeah, these are the things you want to look for in your dog trainers. Look, if it were me and if it were in the, the, the position that I were to be uh, hiring a trainer, I would do a lot of research. I'd probably look at a bunch of different trainers. And even if a consultation costs money, I'd probably do three or four consultations. I'm just being on, and I'm not offended. When people want to do a couple consultations and say, hey, I'll get back to you. I got a few more trainers coming. Cool, no worries. Like, I'm not insulted, never. And that's another thing. Ugh, stay away from the arrogant trainers. It's one thing to be confident. It's another thing to be arrogant. Trainers who go, oh, well, this is how it is, and this is what it is, and I've, you know, they're almost... Almost tooty would be the word. It's one thing to be confident in your information. It's another thing to have this tood. And I've seen that a few times over the years where these certain trainers have attitudes about it. It's like, guys, we're working with dogs, you know, like let's, let's, let's take it down. It it can be fun and enjoyable, you know? Um, And I've seen those trainers don't always get the best success, just being honest. So I know it's a lot, like there's a lot of little things and a lot of subtle things to look for in a good trainer. But to me, it really comes down to the very first thing is a referral is always the safest and best way to go. Not always 100% certainty on that, but try to find a family member, a friend, someone you know that has worked with that trainer one-on-one, not just maybe heard they were great. Let's let's try to find that one-on-one experience um, to be able to find somebody that's going to be great with your dog. Okay. We want to stay away from those, those key words and phrases and things that trainers like to call themselves like a positive reinforcement only trainer or fear free or excuse me, force free, fear free training. Those are just kind of generalized terms that are 
not really getting to the heart of the issue. And for that matter, some of them are misleading and are not correct terminology, such as that force-free training, positive reinforcement only training. The fear-free side, of course, I never want the animals to experience fear, but the reality is sometimes traumatized dogs, they already have it. So how can we call it fear-free if it's already there? We want to get them out of that fear, right? So it's having these understandings, guys, of what to look for. I like to look for trainers that use psychology-based principles, the principles of not only positive reinforcement, but also negative reinforcement, punishment. Scientific behavioral theory is what we're looking for here, guys. If you can, a behavioral specialist is going to be a little bit better. I'm just being honest. They go more in depth. Look, I jokingly say, and I mean this in a take it, you know, come on, laugh at it, guys. I say a dog trainer gets a dog to jump through the hoop. The behavior specialist asks why he did. I want to know why and how that dog jumps through the hoop, not just he did give him a treat. That's what dog training is. He did it, give him a treat. He did it, give him a treat. Why did, why did we give him a treat for that? What does the treat mean? That's where the behavior specialist side elevates your training. So just throwing that out there. Think about that. Uh, Things we want to look for, again, that behavior specialist, a trainer uh, who uses science, good referrals, someone who's willing to open their facility shoot to you, be honest about what they do. They're willing to show you the tools, uh, show you everything they're going to use to train the dogs uh, when they come into their care, okay? Transparency is a wonderful thing when it comes to dog training, guys. You want to know what your dog trainer is going to be doing. I don't hide it. I tell people, this is the collar I'm going to be using. Yes, I will be using punishment. Yes, I will be using reinforcement. Yes, I will be using proven scientific principles to get you results. All right. Something to think about, guys. Something to think about. It's very important when choosing your trainer. Be sure you're being smart about it. Be sure you're choosing wisely. And be sure you can find somebody you can trust with your dog. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on the first pets, we'll be talking about Millard Fillmore. Now, Millard Fillmore, he was the 13th president of the United States, serving from 1850 to 1853. He was the last president to be a member of the Whig Party. Now, Fillmore entered the White House after Zachary Taylor's death while in office. Fillmore was known for his support of anti-slavery laws and bills, as well as the ongoing conflicts with France and Great Britain. Now, originally, he apprenticed as a cloth maker, but later went on to school, studied law, and was admitted to the bar in 1823. Now, he served during the Mexican-American War in the New York Militia, and in 1826, he married Abigail Powers, and together they had two children. Now, the Fillmores did not have any dogs while they were in the White House. In fact, there were only two animals that belonged to the president and his wife, and that was two ponies named Mason and Dixon, after the surveyors whom the border between the northern and southern states was named. Now, not much else is actually known about the ponies. Um, now, after leaving the White House, Fillmore's love of animals continued, and he helped to contribute the founding of the ASPCA chapter in his hometown of Buffalo, New York, in 1867. His elevated status as a past president helped to bring awareness and enact ordinances against the mistreatment of animals. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the only bird that can fly backwards? It's the hummingbird. Yes, the hummingbird will oftentimes fly backwards after they've gotten nectar from a flower. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. 
The first question today comes from Beth from Savannah, Georgia. Beth says, my puppy is a lab mix and is about four months old. Now she has been a little difficult to deal with on leash, housebreaking, and the worst, the whining. She whines all the time, constantly, no matter what is going on. She whines in the crate, not in the crate, in the car, sitting on her bed. It never stops. I know we still have a lot of work to do, but there is, is there anything we can do right now about the whining? Okay, Beth, uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, you know, some puppies do tend to be more vocal. There is that. Uh, some puppies, some dogs just are more vocal by nature, eh, personality, whatever it might be. But when it gets to a point that it doesn't ever stop, that's an obsessive behavior. And I mean, you know it, it's no good. And, uh, you know, something's got to be done. First things first is I always go back to the walk, have to always go back to the walk. Are you properly walking your puppy? Are you walking your puppy enough? Are you using the right tools? Okay, those are all the questions we have to ask to begin with. Okay, make sure you're using all those right tools. Go back and listen to my episodes, uh, segments on the walks, on, on, on training tools, all the different great segments out there to help get you along. Um, but that's where it's got to start because a lot of times a whining puppy, what that means, your puppy has too much energy. Okay, we got to drain some of that. Well, we have to drain a lot of that energy. Okay, and puppies are just, they're, they're never ending batteries of energy. So I can tell you right now, probably you've got to increase the amount of exercise and more importantly, walks that you're doing with your puppy. Now, with that said, it also sounds like you're really not, and look, you're not telling me what you're doing to try to get it to stop because that's, that's just it. You have to do something to tell your puppy to stop. Your puppy has to be given a reason to stop whining or else they're just going to keep doing it. Whether that be a touch correction, collar correction, is going to depend upon the situation, what's going on. Um, But to me, this sounds like a very consistent pattern that really just needs to be broken. And the only way to break it, the only way to decrease that behavior is going to be through some form of redirection or punishment. I want to try to redirect the whining if we can. Let's see if we can't redirect. Maybe try to ask for a couple of commands. You know, if she, let's say uh, we're, she's sitting on the dog bed and she starts whining. Maybe call her over, just do a couple of commands. Don't use treats, don't use food. Just run through a couple of commands to redirect that brain a little bit. See what happens. Kind of play around with it. But the idea is we want to try to redirect that focus elsewhere to something else so it doesn't get stuck in that pattern of the whining. Okay, That's just one thing. Two ways we got to tackle it. Um, but look, I'll be honest, being that I'm hearing leash work, house breaking, whining... There's a lot going on here and all of this stuff is going to interconnect. It, it all relates to each other from a training and behavioral standpoint. So, you know, it, it's, it's almost as if the whining is a symptom of all of the bad behaviors or undesired behaviors that you're experiencing. I would guess they're all interrelating. So to be honest, we've got to tackle this for more than just the whining, just the exercise, just the uh, telling her to stop whining. It's got to be more than that. The leash work's got to come, the house breaking, and more. Maybe there's some manners that aren't the best, maybe I'm guessing. Uh, so feel free to reach out to me if you want to talk more. We can set up, we're doing those free consultations right now, and uh, we can talk more about it. Next question. It's come from uh, comes from Patricia from Melbourne, Florida. Patricia says, my vet office says the, that I should not be using anything to walk my dog but a harness. Oh boy. <laughs> However, the harness is a nightmare. Why am I not surprised? I cannot get my dog to walk well or even look at me around on the walk when I use the harness. Now, I know you talk about using the martingale collar and the importance of creating focus on the walk, but I'm having a heck of a time accomplishing this. I don't want to go against what my vet is suggesting, but at the same time, this isn't working. Any suggestions? All right, look, Patricia, you know, thanks for the question. And this is tough because I get it. It's like, you, you want to trust your veterinarian. They're your veterinarian. But here's the thing. 
Your veterinarian is just that. They are a veterinarian, say that 20 times fast, and their specialty is biology. I'm not knocking vets out there. I'm really not. Um, But at the same time, in the nicest way possible, stay in your lane. Okay, I'm sorry. I look. I, I I said months ago I had a I had had a client that told me that their veterinarian had I, I kid you not had literally told them to not train their dogs until they're six months old. You cannot train your puppy. You should not. Absolutely zero training until they're six months old. Which guys we all know is the most ridiculous, absurd thing that I think I've ever heard from a recommendation from a professional, let alone a veterinarian, in the animal world. So, Patricia, it's not that I want to say your vet is wrong at the same time I am saying your vet is wrong in this instance because yes when it comes to behavior and walking you should be trusting a professional that focuses on behavior and training right no offense to your vet but he needs to concentrate on the biology side the reason you're having a hard time with the harness is because again as I say time and time again on this podcast harnesses are not designed to make a dog walk well. They're actually designed to make a dog pull. That is the whole purpose (laughs) of what we want to accomplish when using a harness. But for some reason, marketing, uh, we think the opposite, okay? It's just not true. I'm sorry, Patricia, it stinks that you're gonna have to go against your vet's wishes, but you need to be using a martingale collar. It's that simple. It's really, there's kind of no other way to say it. Um, But it just, it kills me that you have another animal professional out there not giving good advice, and especially somebody with a doctorate. Ooh, that's tough. Um, So I understand, I I hear you, and I get it, but unfortunately in this instance, your veterinarian is incorrect, and that is the wrong information. You should be using a martingale collar. Go out and try it, tell me how it goes. Uh, Again, free consultations, plugging it right now. We're doing free consultations until uh, the end of May. That's correct, guys. All the way through the end of May, we're doing free consultations. So please feel free to reach out to me, and we can get it going on that virtual training. Patricia, you as well, and I look forward to talking with you more soon. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday. You're going to want to check them out. You can follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Become a patron of the show today. Patreon.com slash speakadogcast. Follow my YouTube channel at speakadogcast. I want to thank my patron, my pup supporter, Regula Wright. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.